Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you are with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Jim Garrity is off today, and in his place... Andrew C. McCarthy, a former federal prosecutor, contributing editor, and columnist at National Review, and he's also a Fox News contributor. So we've got three martinis right up Andy's alley today. And uh, Andy, first of all, thank you. I know you're a listener to the podcast, so thank you for that. Uh, And also, thanks so much for being here today. Great. Thanks so much for having me. I understand Jim is out scouting for the NFL draft is April 28th, right? He's going to get us a, a defensive lineman. I think that's what he promised me, anyhow. Yes, uh, early yesterday, just yesterday, we had two Bears fans on. A few and Jim ever get together on this podcast will be two Jets fans. Uh, as Jim likes to say, the draft, uh, leading up to the draft, that's his busy season as a Jets fan. <laughs> that's like Yes, <laughs> it is. After that, we revert to the bags over our heads. We can see, actually, at the next one, we can see if we have matching bags, I guess. Maybe there's a home and away. I don't know. Uh, exactly. Yes, free agency and uh, and the draft are always when hope springs eternal. And for Bears fans, a lot of times, too. Let, let's, let's, be, let's be honest about that. Let's be honest. All right, let's let's go on to our uh, first martini. Not exactly sure how we call these uh, good, bad, or crazy today, but let's dive right in. Uh, and uh, we're talking about the Durham investigation into uh, the Russia hoax, as a lot of people call it. Andy has also written a book about all of this called Ball of Collusion, but the details still come out as the Durham investigation continues. And the latest piece of evidence uh, offered by John Durham is a text message From September 18th, 2016, so less than two months before the 2016 election, uh, that uh, is from Michael Sussman, who is already indicted in this case, uh, who tells James Baker, not the old Secretary of State uh, for for George H.W. Bush, but the former FBI general counsel, at least at that time, uh, that he's got important information for him. Uh, he also says in this text, which which says, quote, Jim, it's Michael Sussman. I have something time-sensitive and sensitive I need to discuss. Do you have availability for a short meeting tomorrow? I'm coming on my own, not on behalf of a client or company. Want to help the Bureau. Thanks. Well, that's a lie because he actually had two different clients. One was Rodney Jaffe, as you point out in a column for The Hill, who's uh, known in the uh, Durham documents as Tech Executive One and uh, seemed to want to ingratiate himself with what he thought was the incoming Hillary Clinton administration. And so he uh, created this uh, allegation that Trump Tower and Russia's Alpha Bank were in cahoots. Uh, And then he was also there working on behalf of the Hillary Clinton campaign itself. So how significant is this text message, not only for Sussman's case, but uh, how deep this goes? Well, I think it's crucially significant the way the case is played out, Greg. I wonder how many of us, when we want to report something to the police or to the FBI, uh, have the fortuity of just happening to have the uh, general counsel of the FBI's uh, contact information in our cell phone so we can zip them a text. (laughs) I I think that's probably not available to to most people. But the, the defense that Sussman has been running with in the case brought by Durham is that anything he said in the way of who he was representing was not material. Materiality is a required element in any proof of a false statements case. You have to show that the statement was important enough that it would affect how the FBI evaluated the information. So obviously anything that goes to his motive would be uh, material. 
and basically what they have been running with is this idea that it was so well known that Sussman was connected to Democrats. He was the lawyer who represented the Democrats in connection with the hacking of the DNC servers. So he was quite, his relationship to Democrats was quite well known to the FBI. So they've been banking on the idea that everybody must have known where Sussman's loyalties were, number one. And number two is, a, is kind of an oddity of false statements prosecutions in that unlike the usual perjury case where you have a court reporter or stenographer taking down everything and it's under oath and all that stuff, false statements case are basically conversations usually with FBI agents. They're not written down, they're not recorded. So defense counsel can usually make hay with the recollection uh, or failure of recollection by the FBI agent. And here, that's a particular problem because most of the time when you talk to the FBI, you talk to two agents, one who carries the questioning and the other one who takes the notes. Here, it was a one-on-one discussion between these two guys who are, by the way, old colleagues from uh, Justice Department days back in the 90s. So what they were planning to attack was materiality and Jim Baker's recollection of what was said, in in which case he's given like different accounts at different times of, of what was said. So now here comes Durham with this text message. So now, number one, materiality is clear because Sussman himself is stressing that he's not coming to the FBI as representing a client. He's coming there for the good of the country, for the good of helping the FBI. So even Sussman knew that his motivation for coming was important. And the second thing is um, Baker's recollection becomes almost irrelevant if you have a statement in writing from Sussman. Uh, So there won't be much, uh, you know, much hay to be made anymore, I don't think, with uh, exactly what was said in this one-on-one meeting. And this, Greg, is why I think this information must have come pretty recently to Durham, because I can't imagine they would not have included it in the indictment if they had this text at the time they wrote the indictment. So, Andy, this makes things seem a whole lot worse for Michael Sussman. Does this help to peel any additional layers of the onion, though? I think it does in the sense that what we're seeing as time goes on, Greg, is Durham's theory appears to be that the Trump-Russia collusion political narrative was just that, a concoction by the Clinton campaign that through its agents like Sussman, uh, like uh, Christopher Steele and others, they peddled this both to the media and to the FBI, to the government. And the idea was to try to get the FBI and the government in general interested in investigating Trump. So as part of the political narrative, they could tell the public that the investigation of Trump for ties, corrupt ties to Russia was so serious that the government was looking into it. So I think that's where Durham is going. And every new piece of information we hear seems to confirm that. Yeah, you mentioned something interesting just there, Andy, in addition to your your good analysis, and that is the media breathlessly reporting every little leak that came to the New York Post, the New York Times or the Washington Post or CNN or whatever it was. And now we've got things like this happening in the Durham investigation, and they're absolutely yawning. Don't we have a reverse angle of the Will Smith slap of Chris Rock we can talk about instead? I mean, there's just uh, they've just gone completely disinterested all of a sudden. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's quite uh, it's quite amazing, and it, it, this is not the only front where that uh, is happening, obviously. But uh, it is quite a difference between the way it gets covered now and the way it got covered then. Oh, no doubt about it. But uh, Durham, as we've said all along, is methodical. That's proving certainly to be true. And we'll see where it uh, goes from here. Uh, Jim is not here today, as we uh, said, of course. But one of the things Jim loves to do on this podcast, in addition to talking about all the breaking news, is uh, the fact that he gets to highlight how wonderful it is to sit in his beloved X chair. In fact, here's Jim talking about his X chair. From the first moment I sat in my X chair, my body immediately said, ah, this is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. I never actually looked forward to sitting in my office until I got my X chair. Now, can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? My X chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My X chair can do that too. It's all in the Elemax massage and temperature regulation exclusively designed and made for X chair. And once you feel the customized support of X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar or DVL, you'll never be happy in any other chair again. High performance, quality engineering and extreme comfort. Those are all the reasons I love my X chair. Now I can't wait to be at work. And sometimes even if I'm not working, I just sit in my X chair just to get that feeling. Take my advice, try X-Chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you'll never go back, I promise. I've actually had the chance to sit in Jim's X-Chair temporarily at this Christmas party last year. It is a phenomenal chair. So go to xchairmartini.com now. That's the letter X, chair, M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com, or call 844-4X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 per month. xchairmartini.com. All right, let's move on to our second legal martini today. And uh, the Department of Justice is officially investigating a number of uh, issues related to Hunter Biden, who, of course, is the president's son. And, you know, the laptop story broke a few weeks before the 2020 election and uh, the New York Post came out with the story and then their Twitter account got shut down. And then anybody who tried to share the story got shut down on social media. And then just kind of nonchalantly, the New York Times admitted uh, a couple of weeks back. Yeah, yeah, it's all true. All those emails, they're real. And now uh, we're getting a little bit deeper into perhaps Joe Biden's role in Hunter Biden's dealings. Uh, Joe Biden has uh, vociferously defended his son, but the White House has also made it clear uh, that at least their talking point is that Joe and Hunter Biden never talked business while he was vice president. And uh, just yesterday, Jen Psaki at the White House saying the same thing in response to a question from Peter Ducey of Fox News. The president has said that he never spoke to his son about his overseas business dealings. Is that still the case? Yes. Well, maybe not, because Fox News also out with an exclusive story that President Biden in 2017, so between his time as vice president and president, wrote a college recommendation letter for the son of a Chinese executive who did business with Hunter Biden, according to emails reviewed by Fox News Digital. The president has repeatedly denied discussing Hunter's business ventures, but uh, the Fox News Digital obtained emails between Hunter Biden and his business associates involved in his firm Rosemont Seneca's joint venture with Chinese investment firms Bohai Capital and BHR. Hunter held a 10% stake 
in BHR. And basically, uh, his business partner's son was trying to apply to very prestigious universities, two Ivy League schools plus New York University. And in the end, uh, he was looking for an upper hand. And lo and behold, a letter of recommendation from the former vice president at that time uh, ended up being one of the ways uh, to help him. So, Andy, it's kind of hard to be writing this letter and know absolutely nothing about uh, what your son is doing. So what does this mean for Hunter? And perhaps more importantly, what does it mean for the president? You've just written a big story on this that's coming soon on National Review Online. Yeah, I guess it means somebody has uh, ESP or maybe they had a seance or something. I don't know how you end up writing a letter of recommendation for Hunter's business partner in a highly lucrative venture that he got by, by the way, hitching a ride on Air Force Two when then Vice President Biden was on his way to China to do government business. And Hunter was handling, I guess, the family business end. So how you would communicate to dad that you needed a letter of recommendation for your business partner without discussing the business is, is a little bit odd. But I do think, Greg, that you know people need to take a hard look at this. And I don't think we can any longer divorce the fact that Biden has a policy of appeasement on many fronts with China. There's been no challenge. Uh, Jim's done unbelievable work on uh, COVID-19 and uh, the tracing of it back to China. And whether that was a lab accident or whatever else it was, China caused that. Uh, China covered up the origin of it. And there's been no recompense for that. They're challenging the United States on a ton of fronts. Uh, there's no meaningful pushback from the administration. So that's our backdrop here. And then what you have to then focus on uh, is the fact that the Biden family over the last less than a decade collected millions and millions of dollars from Chinese business entities that were closely tied, tied at the hip to the Chinese regime. And this Bohai uh, harvest venture that they did is, uh, is probably the most lucrative. This was a venture that was backed by about $3 billion from three banks that were controlled by the regime, including the Bank of China. Uh, on the basis of the partnership, they got access to American technology that has dual uses, including military uses. Uh, and they also were able to acquire a coveted cobalt mine in Africa, which will help them corner the market on uh, the key components for making all those, uh, the batteries for those electric cars that uh, Biden wants uh, Americans to go out and buy now that they're paying or, or trying to pay $6 a gallon for gas. So I, I don't think the, this story ought to proceed on two different tracks anymore, Greg. I think it's, it's silly to think that all of this money changed hands and it didn't have any effect or influence on policy. And it's no surprise that the Biden administration continues to stonewall. They, Fox News asked them about this report today about the letter of recommendation and the White House press office told Fox News, we don't discuss the laptop. Well, of course the laptop is not the issue. The issue is the letter that Biden wrote. And more deeply, the issue is what was his participation and knowledge of these very curious business arrangements for which Hunter Biden is now under investigation by the Justice Department, which is apparently looking at whether he violated the Foreign Agent Registration Act, 
whether he violated money laundering and whether there were significant tax violations. So I, I think the White House owes some answers to the public. Couple different follow-ups here quickly. Uh, first of all, I assume Merrick Garland's gonna do virtually nothing on this, right? Hard to say. I mean, I, I, my theory, if I, uh, you, you, you won't believe that I'm a little cynical on this, right? <laughs> but you know, I think everybody in America knows at this point that Hunter actually does have tax problems. He had, you know, liens on his property that go back to, you know, 2017 or 2018. And the tax aspect of this is so undeniable that after Biden was safely elected, Hunter came out and said that his counsel had been advised that he was under uh, a, a tax investigation or they're looking into my tax matters, as he said. But so I, I think nobody really cares about tax. I mean, that's the least interesting aspect of this whole thing. And I could easily see the Justice Department stringing this out for a while and then getting Hunter to plead guilty to some tax charge, which will enable Biden to say he didn't interfere with the Justice Department's investigation, will enable the Justice Department to say that they went after the president's son without fear or favor, but would cut out all of the uh, curious business dealings with the Russians and the Ukrainians and the Chinese uh, that Joe Biden seems to have his fingerprints all over. Yeah, this obviously stinks to high heaven, not just for Hunter, but also to the president, as you just mentioned. But uh, beyond the legal side of this, this is just really stupid messaging from the White House. How can you simultaneously say, I know for a fact that nothing illegal happened at the same time you're saying, I never talked about it with them, so I have no idea what happened. <laughs> well, you know, Greg, I think they get lazy in their messaging and incoherent because they don't get challenged with hard questions. You know, Republican administration can't afford to do that because they have to answer questions all the time and be on their toes all the time. Here, Biden got the royal treatment from the media during the campaign. They re they buried this thing. They didn't just not ask him questions about it. They went after anybody who tried to raise it. So I think they just get lazy. They think that they're not going to be challenged. And then suddenly when the questions come, they don't have good answers. Let's move on to uh, better news, and that is the phenomenal deal you can get on the fantastic towels over at MyPillow. We talk about the pillows themselves. We talk about the Giza Dream Sheets. We talk about the mattress topper. I think my very favorite thing from MyPillow are the slippers, but I also love, love, love the towels. They're big. They're soft. They're fluffy, and they get you dry super quickly. And now you can get these great towels at a phenomenal deal. Usually the six-piece towel set from MyPillow is $109.99. Now it's only $39.99 a set. Uh, the six-piece towel set is made with cotton grown in the United States. Uh, every MyPillow towel is made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent and soft to the touch. They don't come with that disgusting lotion-y feel. And every set comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. And I love all of them. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. So for a limited time, get the MyPillow six-piece towel set regularly $109.99 for just $39.99 with our promo code MARTINI. Visit MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow Giza Dream Sheets, and so much more. Get your six-piece MyPillow towel set for only $39.99 today at MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104. MyPillow.com slash martini.
All right, Andy, on to our third martini of the day. And for that, obviously another major legal issue going on right now in the nation's capital is the impending confirmation of federal uh, judge uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson. She passed the the uh, the vote 53 to 47 to move the nomination to the full floor. Three Republicans have said they're going to vote to confirm uh, Collins, Murkowski and Romney. So she is going to be the next associate justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. The confirmation hearing certainly got some attention at times, including her refusal to define what a woman is. Uh, but one of the other things that happened is... Uh, Josh Hawley of Missouri and others are coming out with allegations that she was soft on sentencing criminals, with Hawley in particular dealt with uh, child pornography cases. Uh, You had written for National Review that uh, those allegations in particular didn't stand up real strong on the merits, but the liberals now have uh, taken your comments to suggest that she's not soft on crime in general, which you strongly disagree with, because when you look at her track record... um, you know, it's, it's case after case, issue after issue, where she usually goes even below uh, not only what the prosecution recommends, but sometimes uh, all the way to the minimum standard and sometimes finds a way to go even before that. Uh, Andy, you've told me in the past that getting a serious prison sentence is not just a one-time uh, deal. It's usually a lifetime achievement award. So uh, what do you make of her general approach to this and and how she's been treated on this? Well, I, I'm more concerned, Greg, just because of my little world here about how I was treated in all that this. Too. Because I, I don't I don't know that anyone would have ever predicted that I would end up writing the Democrats' remarks at a, at a uh, confirmation hearing, but uh, be that as it may. I, I, my, my thing with uh, Judge Jackson is that I think the Republican focus on child pornography uh, undermined their ability and their case that she is overall weak on crime. The most important thing that came out of her testimony in that regard is that she has a legally, a a developed legal theory on why judges should sentence below the federal sentencing guidelines, which Congress actually designed to get rid of judicial variances and sentences in the, you know, before the guidelines came uh, in the 1980s, we had the scandalous result that people who, who were similarly situated and who had committed about the same offense were getting wildly different sentences depending on what judge they were in front of. So the whole point of the guidelines was to get rid of that system and get judges, no matter what their uh, predilections were about sentencing to sentence in roughly the same range for similar offenses. And Judge Jackson has a theory that the guidelines are merely the start of the sentencing calculation. And from there, a judge is supposed to work down, especially uh, theorizing that the federal objectives of sentencing include imposing the lowest possible sentence under the circumstances to achieve what, the, what she decides are the federal sentencing goals. So to me, that's a much bigger problem than the child pornography. It, it, it turns out that the Republicans could, to go after her picked the one area that federal judges across the board think the sentencing guidelines and statutes are too harsh because they don't distinguish between consumers of child pornography. And I'm not here to apologize for those people, but they're obviously, to me at least, in a very different category than producers of child pornography. And there was no evidence that she was soft on producers of child porn. It was people who consume 
uh, child pornography. And that's a big problem across the board in federal sentencing. So I think, you know, in their in their haste and their desire to to frame her as soft on child pornography, they missed the main issue, which is that she's not only soft on everything across the board, she has a developed theory that is crazy uh, that enables her to sentence below the guidelines in every single case. What is her theory? Explain that a little more. Yeah. So the statute that enables the guidelines basically lays out what the federal objectives of sentencing are. And then they, after laying that out, what Congress does is promulgate the sentencing commission, which it empowers to create the sentencing guidelines. And then they go through this big elaborate process to make a formula for every sentence that considers a person's criminal history uh, and considers the different factors of the offense. And it comes out with a, you know, a lot of points awarded and uh, a big graph at the back of the guidelines book, which says basically if you're in criminal history category, there are six different categories and you're in uh, offense level category. And I think there's about 43 different offense level categories. And you plot that on a graph and you get the sentence that's supposed to be imposed, like say 47 to 56 months. So Congress very elaborately set out this sentencing formula to deal specifically with the problem that judges were giving wildly different sentences for the same criminal behavior to people who were had similar criminal histories. So they were trying to get rid of the idea that judges could manipulate the, the sentences uh, so that they would vary wildly. And what Judge Jackson says is in the very statute where Congress did that, what they actually meant were, was that the guidelines were just a suggestion and that judges should work downward from there, which is nuts. I don't understand how the last two years are not the strongest possible uh, counter argument to what the left is saying here, that basically people should be in prison for less time. In some cases, no prison at all. I mean, you know, the new Manhattan DEA doesn't want jail time unless you've basically uh, committed a heinous felony. Uh, new York, among other places, have dealt with no bail or ridiculously low bail, even for heinous offenses. And so uh, and they're, they're getting these skyrocketing crime rates as a result because they keep turning criminals back out onto the streets. Yet they don't seem to learn much. Yeah, they're they're prisoners of ideology. It's across the board, Greg. I mean, it's, you know, there couldn't be anything stupider than their energy policies. Uh, You know, we're we're cravenly pleading with dictators to, you know, get us more oil and gas because we, you know, the administration insists on hamstringing our own ability to to produce energy. And there's no reason for this except ideology. And you see the same thing with the criminal justice system. Uh, As you say, The last two years is a very open experiment in this progressive theory of prosecution, which is a fancy way of saying non-prosecution. And I think every city in America is telling you it doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, even the the wokest cities on the planet have uh, come out. Uh, you know, Seattle uh, elected more rational people late last year and uh, other other locations around the country did, too. So we'll see if that shows up in the midterms. That would be the only silver lining. Uh, the goal is to have here is to not have crazy people with terrible policies, but at least hopefully uh, people will learn. But right now doesn't look like they're learning anything. And that is scary, scary, scary. Andy, always great to have you with us. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. Hopefully we'll get a chance to do it again down the road. Greg, I'm a big fan of your uh, podcast, so it's uh, it was just a, a hoot to be here. So thanks so much. 
Fantastic. Uh, Andy McCarthy, former federal prosecutor, contributing editor and columnist at National Review Online. You also see him a lot as a contributor on the Fox News Channel. I'm Greg Karemis of Radio America. Thanks so much for listening today. Uh, Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell a friend about us as well. Thank you so much for the five-star ratings and the kind comments. Uh, We appreciate those very much, and they're a big help to us. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. Andy is at Andrew C. McCarthy. Jim is at Jim Garrity. And I am at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday and please join us again on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.